Hey there, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Rock and Horror Popcast Show. Actually, welcome to two very special episodes of the Rock and Horror Popcast Show, because you're going to find that we were not able to fit all the stories and all the fun we had with our guests into one single episode. So parts one and part two are live right now on YouTube. And they are also live on your favorite podcasting platform, but you know that already because you're listening to them and or watching them. So make sure that you're starting with part one, not part two, because you're going to lose things in context if you start with the wrong episode. And you can do that simply by looking at your screen, seeing if it says part two or seeing if it says part one. I'm just trying to give you a word of caution because I only want to do this intro one time. I want to get you guys right into the fun. The show that we're talking about on this episode is Forever Plaid. Forever Plaid was a 1989 off-Broadway musical review that became an international sensation. It plays all over the world, even to this day, 32 some odd years later. Now, in 2009, 20 years after it opened, it also became a motion picture. And starring a smudge in that movie was David Engel. And starring a sparky in that movie was Larry Rabin. And I am so excited to tell you that they're both on the show this episode. Equal to that is the fact that the god of Platt himself, the writer, choreographer, and director of the original show and the movie, Stuart Ross, graciously came on to discuss the show with us. I'm so, so, so thrilled that they were able to come on the show and talk about their experiences. I know you're going to be thrilled when you hear the stories and um, that's about it. So without any further ado, buckle up your seatbelts, sit back, relax, and let us bring you into Plaidland. Once upon a time, on February 9th, 1964, a semi-professional harmony group from Eastern Pennsylvania was on their way to their first big gig at the Airport Hilton Cocktail Bar, the Fusil Lounge. While driving their cherry red 1954 Mercury convertible, they were rehearsing their finale, Love is a Many Splendored Thing. They were just getting into their favorite E-flat diminished 7th chord when they were slammed broadside by a school bus filled with eager Catholic teens from Our Lady of Harrisburg. The teens were on their way to witness the Beatles make their U.S. television debut on The Ed Sullivan Show and miraculously escaped uninjured. The Harmony Group, however, was killed instantly. What happens when a harmony group is snuffed out mid-coda? Where do those unresolved chords of those unresolved lives end up? Parapsychologists believe that their spirits are doomed to wander the astral plane, never resting, until that exact moment when the harsh sounds of human discord reach deafening proportions and channel them through the dimensions. Only then may they return to Earth to complete their mission of harmony and be at peace for all eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, that moment draws near. And now, for the first time on this or any other planet, Forever Plaid. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Rock and Horror Popcast Show. I am, as always, your host up here in Hope Patcong, New Jersey, in Studio 217, Rob Nicholson. Tonight, I am over the moon excited to welcome, number one, my close friend Frank into the studio uh, to celebrate the amazing show and the amazing world that is Forever Plaid. And I am so happy to have with us <laughs> don't cry yeah i'm not gonna cry i promise <laughs> oh he's definitely i might crying. cry a little bit <laughs> i am so happy to have with us david engel the original smudge from forever plaid larry rabin the original og sparky from forever plaid <laughs> and are you ready guys the god of plaid himself 
Stuart Ross. <laughs> now, hey, Stewie. I am also joined tonight by Jacob Villarreal. Say hi. Hello. And who do you play in Forever Plaid or who? So I am uh, playing Smudge currently at uh, Boulder Dinner Theater in Boulder, Colorado. Um, my first two times of the show, I played Frankie in Dallas, Texas, one with the Turtle Creek Corral, uh, which I love, always love to talk about because we had 154 plungers on the Morton Meyerson Symphony Center uh, stage, and it was out of this world. Um, if anyone knows Mark Fry from Dallas, he directed and played Smudge in that. Um, and then after that, I've been Smudge ever since. This is number seven for me, I believe, plaid. Wow. And plaid tidings once and one more this coming winter. Wow. Yeah. And I do have two plaids, three, my other three plaids are here. So they might say hello real quick if that's cool with you. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. Oh we God. have Frank Tedesco. Oh, we have, we have, we oh, wait, there they are. We have some popping plaids. They're <laughs> <laughs> just in the background. Yes. Scott Severinsen right here. Hi, I play Frankie. This is my fifth plaid. Yes. Wow. This is our newbie, Leo Battle, our Sparky, his very, very first plaid, and he's doing phenomenal. Ah, that's great. Welcome, Welcome. to the Brotherhood. The yes. Fraternity. And Jinx is here somewhere. He, he'll pop in shortly. But of course, it's good. always Jinx. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck today. Yeah, Mared. Frank. Yes, Mared. Um, well, I'm Frank Tedisco. Uh, in 1999, I had the pleasure of playing Sparky. Um, for the uh what we dubbed as the greatest show no one ever saw <laughs> we did have a uh, a whopping two performances so we had two and a half months of rehearsals for two performances wow um, due to the wonderful hurricane floyd that devastated northern new jersey that year wow. um and then i had the uh distinct pleasure of bringing back uh my love for forever plaid for many 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 performances in northern New Jersey uh, at Rhino Studio 237 and a couple of uh, other private little venues that we were hired out to do that was a lot of fun for some um, fundraising events um, and I directed Rob in uh, 2017 as Gina has corrected yes, us and reminded us um, and it's just Whenever I had a chance to pitch directing that show to any theater, I always did and always wound up a little short, but uh, this little theater up in, up in Pompton Lakes, New Jersey gave, uh, gave me the shot and it was an absolute smash for them. I'm honored to be in, in everyone's presence. Um, you know, I've, I've listened to soundtracks, I've fall in love with this music I knew some of this music because my father was a big um you know the, the with the the four aces and three coins in the fountain and 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 love is a many splendored thing the Perry Como I grew up on Perry Como so this is this has been a lifelong uh love for me so thank you for uh thank you for allowing me to be part of this uh plaid family Family, it is. Yep, it is. Dave Murgatroyd, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Uh, sorry, apparently everyone in my neighborhood is riding a motorcycle tonight. So if you're hearing all of that, that's uh... <laughs> all right. Uh, I was uh, Sparky in 2014 uh, at the Bickford Theater, Morristown, New Jersey. Um, my solo, uh, that was my solo trip uh, in the show and loved every minute of it and Hope to do it again at some point if I ever cut my hair. And, yeah, uh, that's it. <laughs> and uh, actually, Scott uh, Scott was my choreographer, actually, um, when we did that. So that's how I'm tied in with Scott. And thanks, guys, for being here. It's great. Dave Rittenhouse. Hi, everybody. I'm good. I'm Dave Rittenhouse. I was in that 1999 Hurricane Floyd ravaged production with Frank. Um, I played the role of Smudge, and it's it's of the of the probably almost like fifty shows I've done in community theater in New Jersey. It is it is up there as one of the most memorable shows due to the 
the camaraderie, everything that, I mean, it, the Hurricane Floyd aspect certainly made it even more interesting in the fact that we opened on a Friday and closed on a Saturday. Um, wow. But it, it just the, 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 the closeness of the show. And I just wanted to actually take a, a brief moment to thank David, Larry, and Stuart. You guys hosted a reunion during the pandemic. Yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, that, that I tuned into. And it, it, it was amazing how it brought back so many memories. And for, for so many years, I kept saying, I'm like this little show. And it was just, you know, Frank, myself, Rob and Jeff, who were the other two people that were involved. And whenever we send messages back and forth to each other, we always, always go back to, to plaid, you know, it's a kind of, kind of a, a brotherhood, if you will. And, and it was, it was wonderful to kind of hear that coming from other people. Cause I kind of felt like, I'm like, is this, you know, what is it, what is this about? And then when I heard David and Larry and the rest of the cast and Stuart talking about it, it was, it really solidified that. That actually brought Jacob into my life. That's how we kind of met. We met uh, oh, okay. back and forth during that, that 30, 30th anniversary, plativersary. Yeah. Scott McGowan, how are you? I'm good, good. Good evening. I'm Scott McGowan and I met Stuart Ross and he directed me in a production of Footprints on the Moon for TheaterWorks USA way back in the early 90s. Uh, never did a plaid with him, but happily, he, he, I'm happy he wrote it because it did follow me for about 20 years from 1994 till 2014. I, uh, the first, uh, my first initial uh, dealings with it was when I was cast as an understudy for all four plaids at Gateway Playhouse. Uh, luckily, I never had to go on because I just, they knew the show and I came in at the end and uh, I learned all the dialogue and one person's music because that's all I had time for. But since then, <laughs> I have done Frankie 12 times. <laughs> I've done Frankie 12 times, uh, have directed it twice and choreographed it once, uh, twice that I directed it, which I was in. Um, and it was just a huge part of my life for, like I said, 20 years and grateful that it was there and part of my professional career. And thank you, Stuart, for writing such an incredible piece. Thank you, Stuart. Yes, it, and yes. It, it, it's funny that we're ending up with him right now. Are we so seguing? We, we are, we are, as I so eloquently put it the first time I read the word, even as a writer, we are going to segue <laughs> over to Stuart. <laughs> yeah. so, Stuart, welcome, what? welcome, welcome, welcome. And on behalf of thank you. Thank you. the Plaid Nation and the Plaid world, thank you. Yeah, it's a plaid, 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 plaid. So we are we are very deeply grateful and deeply plaid that you are here. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of one-liners, people. Mm. Anyway. Oh yeah, I have a. I'm at my desk, so I have a drawer here. here. <laughs> so yeah. plaid gags. So bring us. Bring us into your world when you were creating this. So wow. what was the impetus? Uh, explain impetus, because <laughs> I was doing a show. I mean, you know, the real impetus, so I was doing a show and I had a, a I had always wanted to, a, a long time ago, I did a show about the Boswell sisters and um, we were a harmony group in the 20s and 30s. And um, I uh, one day I was cleaning out my closets and I I, I found a, a my brother I had an older brother like fourteen years older and he left me all his records when he went to college and David and Larry if you want to snore I will I no no it's fascinating <laughs> no it's good I, to hear I, it again I, I wonder you know there were three coins and they had my initials on them he gave it to me I love my brother and I put my initials on everything and. There were pictures, they were in little 45s because we only had a 45 record player growing up and they had little covers, extended plays and um, they had the uh, four aces and mood for love. And there was a picture of a woman with beautiful hair and, and like getting ravaged by some guy. And uh, then alongside in the strip, a totem pole strip, there were four guys in sort of plaid tuxedos, you know, <laughs> Going like they, they looked like they didn't know what a woman was, let alone uh, able to ravage her, you know. And um, <laughs> I thought that'd be funny. 
and I want to have it <laughs> not holds up live. So uh, I got some guys together and we did it. And uh, I was doing Pump Boys at the time. I was directing that production of Pump Boys. And I used some of the people from Pump Boys. And we got in my apartment and we transcribed the stuff. Uh, With James. Was James involved then? No, no James was two years later. Oh, okay. And, uh, and then, um, yeah, then we... Uh, performed it at the West Bank Cafe and James came. But it wasn't a play, it wasn't a play form, but were they being- No, no, I, well, I wrote stuff on napkins at the West Bank Cafe, but I had written speeches, the, some of the little speeches just for back, background. So were they characters or- they uh, Sort of, but you know, they were just, they were just goofy. They were, they were visiting the basement of the West Bank Cafe, uh, pretending it was their old, rehearsal space. It was being turned into a um, wellness center. Uh, they wanted to do it once before. You know, it was all cobwebs and, and there was a beat up old piano. And they just did, we did 20, 25 minutes. And Lewis Black opened for us. Wow. Oh, wow. wow. He made us go down and do it because he ran the West Bank and he was, somebody canceled. So he said, you got, and one of the guys also was co-founder of the West Bank, Rusty McGee, the late great Rusty McGee and so we did it down there and people were you know jaw dropped I mean a lot of great people were in the audience it was a really hip place at that time and we, they sang no not much and we watched these like, you know sort of trending edgy comedians put put their arms around their dates and I, I knew something was pretty special wow that was like 1986 seven seven 1987 yeah. So, um, I mean, because I know we just did that event at the West Bank. It was like 30 years later. Um, were the guys, because I just guess I just don't know this, were the guys coming out from like a time warp? I mean, were no. they, they set in the 50s? No, or they, we didn't even deal with that. You know, I, I should have learned from that point. Uh, we, no, they just said, hey, here we are back in our old place. The, and nobody questioned. Okay. Hmm. Do we, you know, and then we had, there was a, we had a very short, wonderful uh, bass player, world-class bass player. And he was in, the, he was short. He was in the bass case. Oh, <laughs> oh <my God>. genius. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow, hi. You know, so it was just, nobody dared question it. It was just so absurd. Nobody was alive or dead. That didn't happen for another, you know. Yeah, until I joined. That's the first time it went That's into play. the first play time play. it was dead. Yeah, then we went to the O'Neill, and then we went to Rochester. Yeah. And yeah, when we did it in Rochester, mm -hmm. it was it was in Smudge or Sparky's basement with with all, like a, like a jukebox and all kind of stuff all around. Uh, and it morphed, just kept morphing from there. By the time we got to New York, I remember yeah, we the were angel there. wings. The angel, it was a half finished basement because that's what I grew up with. There was insulation, you know, the silver kind with the pink inside, fiberglass insulation on the walls. And uh, yeah. at the very at the very end of the show, they turned the wings popped out. It became yeah. the fiberglass insulation became their wings. Well, it's because oh. we were it was narrated. I mean, it was we were talked to by God. The whole time and she and she was telling us that we'll find we will Harry find White, I think. right we will find something behind unfinished business what was the line you'll find your dreams behind what something i can't remember I, and, I remember we, I, and the whole show we're trying to go unfinished business unfinished business we finally see this the unfinished boiler room with with the with the um the insulation and we go that's it. And we pull the insulation off the walls and we put the wings on each other and they were, and they opened up and they were oh my God. angel wings, but made of insulation. That is awesome. Fun. Now that, that needs to be seen in pictures. Yes. <laughs> oh, we have. I've, I've got that, that whole thing up online. I mean, that, that everybody was afraid to go into the boiler room, the furnace room. Right. Because I always was. When I was a little kid, I didn't want to go in the furnace room. That was like too scary. So see, folks, we always can bring a horror component into this because Forever Plaid, as I told David earlier, is a ghost story. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, right. Just saying. Just saying. Absolutely. Did you guys ever do it at Paulson's? That's where, um, uh, yeah, uh, we actually, 
uh, went to, when Nancy McGraw came the first night, I've known Nancy for years, but we ended up doing uh, plaid tidings the first time. Just It was basically just Christmas songs of plaid uh, at Paulson's for okay. um, uh, in 1987 at Christmas uh, with Paulette Hout playing the piano for us. Oh, wow. Cousin, uh, she, she played Tina Marie. Her name was, then we sang Tina Marie. And we sang The Naughty Lady of Shady Lane. And she turned around and it was the baby Jesus in Plaid Swaddling. <laughs> it was a Christmas crash on stage and it was in Plaid Swallow. And The Naughty Lady of Shady Lane was the baby oh Jesus. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. But as far as Paulson's, Paulson's then became Steve McGraw's. And that is where we opened the show in, in 1990 was Steve McGraw's and then it ran for, how long did it run there? Four and a half years? Uh, well, almost five years. Almost five. Yeah. Wow. 19, 1951 performances. So Stuart, I talked to a couple of you, well, this is actually going back to 2016. Um, I played Jackie Elliott and Billy Elliott. And one of the one of the roles on Broadway, Jackie on Broadway was played by- yes, Greg Jabara. Jabara. Hey, Tony. When I was talking mm -hmm. to him about Billy Elliot, he said, we also share another character in common, and that is Smudge. I forget exactly where he said he played it. I want to say Washington, D.C. Oh, he played yep. it a lot of places, but he did. He played it at Ford's Theater and, um, and then the White House. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that production, that was a glorious uh, group of guys, because with that production, James and I got to finish the show, mm. put finishing touches on the okay. show. You know, when it was the first time we had a real set and we had, um, uh, you know, light cues, like a lot of them, and a sound guy. And we added the moon and with the guy with the silhouettes going across it. And uh, but Greg was uh, Greg was wonderful. That, that was a very tight group of guys. But we had so many stories. George Bush came to see it. And uh, I guess Mike, Michael Winther and, and Neil or uh Paul Bonato they during Matilda they had their claves and the secrets when George Bush the elder came they they the secret service kind of tackled them because they they saw oh these people pull out <laughs> these rods <laughs> and like, then, like nunchucks and then <laughs> during perfidia he laughed so hard he doubled over and it was Ford's theater like he doubled over like <laughs> So oh, no. <laughs> oh God! Oh, and then they invited us to the White House to, to perform, and this was a, right the night before. There was a, bit, a banquet for his cabinet, and it was the night <clears throat> night before they went on vacation. And um, I I was up at the O'Neill doing something else, but I flew in to Washington, and it was. It was so goyasha. I mean, it was bizarre. We didn't get anything. Rebecca Luca and I had to hang out while they, everybody got ready. We had, they had no food for us. Wow. There was no food. There was <laughs> Triscuits and American cheese and an amazing <laughs> amount of vodka and orange juice. <laughs> and hey, you're at the White really House. Toasty. What else do you need? Gosh, and I had two dinners at the White House and it was fabulous. Maybe they, the guys got it, you know, they, they, we got tours and all that, but we were just like, we're, there was no, we had no access to food. So we were pretty high, <laughs> but um, not high. But I remember, uh, I, I knew Barbara's uh, nephew. Uh, I knew, I happened to have just been with her sister, uh, Martha, uh, on Gardner's Island. And Martha was like, kind of a lefty and a real radical. And her son, Kevin Rafferty, uh, was Roger Moore's major editor. He had done, uh, not Roger Moore, Michael Moore. He had done Roger and Me. Oh, and, uh, Girl oh, Groups yeah. and Atomic oh, yeah. Cafe and, and all the other uh, Michael Moore movies. And Barbara and I were talking about how brilliant his movies were and, and how great Michael Moore is. It was so bizarre to talk to this woman as a person. Mm. But during the show, after the show, um, the president then Bush nudged me and he goes, man, they didn't get it. They're square. <laughs> Only laughing if President Bush laughed. You know, they were just, you know, it was weird. Uh, 
Well, and those four guys then got invited to County Bunkport and played oh, golf with him. I didn't go. I was invited too. I just said that it's crossing a line for me. You know, going to the White House once, going to his house for me was a little bit of a stretch. And, you know, I yeah. wasn't needed. We got plaid nudity going on there. Yeah, you got to move the camera. <laughs> That's hot, plaid nudity. I missed it. Getting ready for service. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell him how I met Larry? No. no. It sort of ties into Scott. It sure does. Um, I auditioned for, I, I did my first season of summer stock and I was 24 years old and I got back to the city and I went, I really want to get my equity card. And I auditioned for a musical version of the Velveteen Rabbit with wow. a young, young director named Stuart Ross and ah. a young composer named Jimmy Roberts who went on to write, James. I love your perfect now change and the thing about men and, and James style. And um, anyway, yeah, I booked the, the pivotal seminal title role of the Velveteen Rabbit ah, ah, and Stuart ah. was my director <laughs> and off I went in a van to Florida and played 2,500 seat theaters because it was a big title for them. It was a brand new show. Yeah. And um, uh, Stuart and I loved each other from the beginning. And then about six months later, he called me and said, we're going to do a workshop of this musical that I've written and we're kind of starting again from the beginning. We're going to keep all the charts and the monologues, but we really want to try to look at shaping it new and getting it done in New York. Yeah. And he said, would you please come be a part of it? Would you want to? And you also, you also saw it. In, you were in Skokie with the show and you came to see it some in Chicago or something? It was, um, no, it was actually, I saw it in Teaneck. Teaneck. Teaneck, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, so I got to see when they were still alive in the basement, when the guy, guys all came in on crutches and they all had no, 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 no. on. And... They were originally dead in Rochester. Right. When we made right. It but then by, by Teaneck, they, they said badly bruised. They, yeah, they said they'd, they'd bring it into New York if I made them alive, made it more like a play, which just made it sadder. Making them alive made them seem like losers. And they were yeah. they weren't dead. They were just bruised, right? They were all like, yeah, just they, battered. They, they wanted yeah, They've been in a wreck. They've been in Iraq. They've been in. Wait, they were in Vietnam, not Iraq. Uh, a wreck. They, yeah, going to Vietnam was better better than being a flag. Right. Jonathan Brody said that at one point. Oh gosh. Anyway, yeah. So anyway, Stuart, that was probably the happiest call of my life that you called me to be a part of it and change everything about my life for free <laughs> to have <laughs> but yeah, yeah it was great so i always i always have said um and i know larry appreciates this now i've always said that larry is the og sparky um as we know i mean that there was technically a sparky or two <laughs> before um but I, I said to David earlier today, I was like, listen, you did the movie. Once you do the movie, you're the OG. <laughs> that's all there is to it, period. Well, that's um, a nice thing. And listen, we're dear friends with Jason Graw, uh, who I understudied Jason and David when the show first opened. But the contract that we were on off Broadway paid, it was a cabaret contract and it had a more remunerative clause. And so, you know, of the 60 reviewers that came to see the show over the first four months, I got about half the reviews um, and Jason was just gone for huge swaths of time. Uh, and there was one point where Jason had been gone and the stage manager put up on the board, the roles usually played by Larry Rabin tonight will be played by Jason Crawl. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And um, so anyway, it, it's been a joke between the two of us for years and years and years. And I then- just saw him. He just drove by for this. Oh, did yeah. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. And we're about to do the, the reunion concert yeah, together again. The reunion concert. Um, but yeah, he, he stepped away after about six months and never looked back. He directed it once or twice in his hometown, but never sang these songs again. Or, until until uh, the last year together. Until our reunion concert. And we just had a great, great, great time. And it took us right back to rehearsal in Stan's apartment and carrying plungers all over New York City and washing our own shirts and trying to get anybody's attention and donating all the money to equity price aids and wow it, it was a it was a great crazy time 
yeah, you can imagine the comments we got carrying six foot plungers yes. in flat jackets to in, New York City. In New York City. <laughs> I was so embarrassed doing it at the time. Now I proudly, you know, sport my six foot plunger. <laughs> but at the time, nobody, they just thought we were, we were plumbers, you know, going to do a really big job. Really. <laughs> <laughs> in flat jackets, no less. Right? Yeah. Geeks with. You know, exactly. Yeah. So can now, you tell them about the plaid, the white, the Glen plaid, the black and white plaid jackets that we still have, that we've uh, sharpie. Those? I still have those. Wow. Okay. Yeah. When we were in Rochester, I mean, we were low budget at the time, and we used them in New York too. When we finally took it to New York, but um, they were like, they were they were black and white plaid. It was kind of houndstoothy, but we took we took marks a lot and drew the blue and green in on every single line. We all, did, wow. we all got together and worked like the whole night, just drawing them all in. Wow. And they look it. They look, if you look close, it looks like coloring, you know, like some little kid colored it. And, and, well, and, and press photos with those pictures. Oh gosh, and David, I remember you took the, the original plaid box home and judged it up. Yes, because it was like a, it was like a cake box, that original box i mean it was like it was a kickbox it was falling apart and i go and I, I like i am to do i'm taking over and i and i went home and i stopped off at staples and i got a big box and then i made it gorgeous with a big wrapping and everything and james when he said it when he saw it he said wow nice box and we put it into the show <laughs> Well, so, my, it's my favorite line in the show. Interpretation of that. Because, I know you do, Stuart. What is it? Well, <laughs> I, when I saw it, you know, I did it from Naked Gun, where Leslie Nielsen looks up Priscilla Presley's dress when she goes up <laughs> to get something in a library and yep. looks at her dress and goes, nice beaver. Yep. And then she takes, <laughs> she takes a big beaver. Yeah. I just had it stuffed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in our production, um, the person that brings out the box to us is one of the owners of the theater, Joanne. And she is very, very stage shy. Um, she's Extremely not, right. stage shy. She, she doesn't love being in front of anybody. So she comes out with this ornate, you know, plaid covered box with the big bow tie and in it are our jackets and yada, yada, yada. And that <laughs> she brings it out and all of us <laughs> turning unison and say, nice box. I think the first time we ever said it, I, I thought she was going to die. And instead <laughs> she just said, thank you. And just kept going. To this yeah. day, every time I see her, you know, I'll, there, there's always a way for me to work that in. Always a way. So it but, constantly breaks the ice. So it's great. The point is that they see a woman for the first time in how yep. many decades, yep. right? And they watch her go up the aisle and they're like, wow. And then they look down and go, oh, nice box. Like the box is more impressive yep. than the woman. I mean, that's to <laughs> me is what the under, and I'm always, right. they don't know. It down, it's, dial it's, it down. It's set in innocence. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yep. Completely. Yep. And Absolutely. that is so much about the the whole show. They, they have no, they're, they have no idea they're being funny. They don't know why right. they're, why the audience is laughing. They're, they're, they're earnestly trying to do this show they, and they're just, they don't know. They don't Marcy like being, being on Marcy stage. Being trying to be funny. What? They don't like being on stage. Right. I mean, not, not Sparky, of course. Other not. than Sparky, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Frankie does it out of duty. Yep. Yeah, and and I, I'm not any yep. good at patter. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wait, um, I'm not any good at patter. Oh, Smudge does, doesn't he? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes, and then I get milk and magnesia across my lip. Yes. Um, what do you One use the, for that? What do you use for that? We it, it took so many different things to whip cream. Whip cream. Toothpaste. I'm using toothpaste right now. Toothpaste. Mm. Ours was usually sour cream. Oh sour God. Cream <laughs> watered down. Watered down sour cream because it would stick and it would right. be. But, uh, you, tried. but oh. you have to wash that container out every single oh, yeah, night. Yeah. Oh. yeah, we just uh, yeah. we used good old Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Yep. That worked. Anything, whatever we try. Anything that stays is good. Yeah. We tried kefir. kefir we tried all sorts of boy. 
White out. That was my favorite. White out? You hate your cast? Or? <laughs> I never, if they didn't want to do something, I'm like, oh, so we'll do something else. So I have to say, when I when I first picked up the script to Plaid, um, and I will tell my director right now that I was, I and I told David this earlier, I was I was almost disappointed that I was getting the role of Smudge because it wasn't something that I was looking to do. It was, I, I, I don't know why I thought it should be anything else, but I was like, Smudge, mm. and I remember Gina told me, she goes, you go and you do that role. And I did, and I fell in love with him. I mean, my literally my prescription glasses are my Smudge glasses. Um, but when I first picked up that script, Stuart, the what I'll call the the liner notes, the whatever you want to call it, it was the most descriptive thing about a show and what the characters should be. And like David just said, um, like this this naivety naivety naivete. They don't know they're supposed. They, they don't know they're being funny. They're not trying to be funny. And I remember reading the note about. Um, when I sing 16 tons that, you know, I shouldn't be, I'm trying to figure out exactly how it went, but like, I shouldn't be trying to be like that, that base to be making fun of somebody or, you know, fun of, of Tennessee, uh, Ernie Ford, but that I should be like literally trying to sing that song the way I should sing that song. And just all of those notes in there for every character, um, including this smudge eating fire. Um, it's, it, it was brilliant how that was in there. And I don't know if you wrote that or I don't remember. He was very disappointed yeah. that I did not allow him to eat fire yes. in a small yes. black box theater. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is disappointing. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> we had to cut it in some places, but I mean, we tried we so did. many things, but nothing. But we did it a lot of yeah. original. Originally, we, what did we do? We, we held, he held the note out and everybody and else drank, drank water. water. Drank water. Yeah. That was a and little then, yeah. Oh my God. And you remember those stupid Twinkies? Yes. It's the, like yes. the magic trick you. It went, okay. Okay. So this is, that was it. We had this week because at the cannon for a while, we couldn't do fire. And so we, we had, we tried anything at the end. So it was a magic trick and it was this tray and it looked like a, looked like a like a cake pan and it was an empty tray and then you put the top on it and lift it off and what was in the top was was the bottom that stayed in there and it was full of twinkies we did twinkies and so and then we, we hurled them at the audience sure, we took them up and go twinkies twinkies <laughs> and i remember somebody after the show go what were you throwing and i go wait who's twinkies and they go oh i thought you said chicken <laughs> <laughs> No, it was Twinkies. It was but, yeah, Twinkies. Just, I think we did that once. Oh, we did all kind of magic tricks. I still have shame from that moment. <laughs> I don't even remember that. I guess I do, but I don't. Well, no, it was like we we tried it at the cannon. We tried every different thing, but nothing worked like fire. Right, Joan Jonestein couldn't get the Beverly Hills fire chief to sign off on it. She finally yeah. did. So yeah, we finally did. Oh, so you, you all had fire. You had fire extinguishers. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. We, the fire extinguishers were, were practical fire extinguishers in case. We never had a problem. I just want yeah. to tell you real quick about that the fire eating. Um, Gabe Barry, who did the workshop with us, knew how to eat fire. He had all these circus tricks. We wow. did that in and, St. Croix. And he, oh, yeah. Okay, Stuart. Yeah. And then Gabe taught me how to do it. And then I had to teach David how to do it. But David, David took it and ran with it. And he should send you the clip of what he did for the film. He nearly obliterated a camera <gasps> by not eating fire, but spitting fire. Yeah. Uh, somebody got a still shot of it. Yeah, there, there oh. was a camera on a crane. And David has like a 12-foot torch of fire coming out of his mouth as oh. he was spitting okay. fluid at the camera. So when we were shooting it, uh, I don't remember who had asked me, you? I don't think you asked me, Stuart, because you would have known, but they said, well, can you breathe fire? And I was like, sure. And I had <laughs> never done that before. Um, and so, I mean, what it, what it, the, the, you, we use lantern fluid uh, because it, it does nice white smoke and you, I would lose smoke rings. Um, 
but you dip it in there and you put it in your mouth and you know there's no real trick to it it really it, it kind of burns but you but you have to be careful you have to keep your head up and stuff but so what i did on the film set is i i drank i didn't swallow but lantern fluid and would go and went and held the torch and they they said okay we're gonna do this one and done because we're not gonna call out the fire marshal or anything let's just do it and we did it and i went and it engulfed i'm gonna bring that picture up it engulfed the camera um, i believe i believe that, that was is in the movie yeah like, it is yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it does go around the camera. You're seeing that camera angle. Okay. Up. But wasn't it, it done in a pickup that way? We didn't do it in any of the no, lives. Yeah, we only, yeah, no, it was, it was a pickup. We yeah. did. Yeah. And they and everybody was surrounding me with real uh, fire extinguishers. It wasn't just, you know, it, everybody had them in front of me. Uh, you know, there was there was like lots of fire extinguishers around. And I, I just, you know, it's, it's like, it's like what they say at an audition. Do you do gymnastics? You go, yeah. I just want to say yes to everything. Yeah. Why can't okay. Jacob? Are you eating fire? I am. Oh, I no problem. We, no we're, we're using uh, we use lighter fluid. Um, we had a one of our stagehands switch off, and I think it might have had too much one night and literally blew fire. Oh. And this was just a few weeks ago, and the guys, I've never seen our eyes so big on stage. <laughs> <laughs> it was hysterical and just like flabbergasted. Oh my God. Wow. And, and I don't, oh, now you're getting my ring light. I'm going to try to hold it well. It's not going to work. Okay. So there we go. There we go. All right. So, I mean, the Luma crane is right there. You can see the hand, oh the arm of God. the crane above, but it was all the way around it. Wow. Then, wow. I have another one oh. from the shot from the front. Oh, done, David. What? doing it but for getting it up on your phone so fast oh, and yeah. well directed <laughs> Stuart, for asking for it what did we now in plaid tidings we just do alvin yeah right yeah just okay. alvin oh yep. yeah alvin alvin and yeah, i want a hula yeah. hoop alvin right yeah, yeah. always Which i love it's totally fun it is but okay, so I remember how that all that whole thing happened was in Rochester. We had it was Robert Polins playing the accordion. He could play the accordion and singing "Lady Lady of Spain," but it was just a long number. And you thought of it like um, "I Love Lucy" when Ethel May Potter is up there performing, and Ricky and Lucy and Fred were thought she was going to embarrass herself, so they were parading things behind her. And she was getting all this applause, and that was that was the analogy I remember you used. That let's all this is going on. Well, we did it actually because of that. Because in, in we got a job for money after we did the O'Neill. We got hired to do the show in a hotel in Saint Croix in the Virgin Islands for mm -hmm. Christmas. But I had to come up, and we had about a half hour or forty-five minutes of a show, and they didn't care about a script, and we had to add a woman. They wanted a woman in it. So we got Allison Frazier, because her husband was Rusty McGee, and Gabe Barry, and a guy named Jonathan Long, who I was always coaching in his club act and his auditions, who was a tenor. And he said, we had to expand the show. So we had to find stuff. And he said, I always wanted to sing Lady of Spain. And we, you know, you could hear our eyes roll in, you know, the Bahamas. <laughs> and so he sang, he was singing Lady of Spain with like his life depended on it. And I said to Gabe, well, why don't you juggle while he's singing? <laughs> you know, in that rhythm. And, and Rusty said, oh, I, I have one of those, you know, those things you blow and they extend. And Allison did roller skated, you know, or, you know, there was a lot of things going on. And I said, gee, it looks like the Ed Sullivan show. And I went, oh, <laughs> you know, the light, you literally Perfect. saw the light yeah. on the top of my head. And it, that's it, awesome I, I think that the ed sullivan show may be one of the hardest numbers for anybody ever to do on stage <laughs> in three minutes and 11 seconds <clears throat> the amount of things that we do on that stage and then we get 15 seconds and we have to sing a beautiful song like scotland the brave <laughs> so... i'm sorry <laughs> thank you for that Stuart. <laughs> 
But it, it. You know, it really is just a list. I mean, there was no genius. Once you got the idea, the genius yeah. was just keeping it going and don't give it. It's actually only two minutes and 30. Yes. Yeah, it's not really. It was the three minutes and 11, which is like, what would be a good number? What sounds like yeah, that's all. It, was it wasn't three minutes and 11 seconds at all. Right. It's like two minutes and 30, you know. It feels like seven years sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> especially you know, by Sunday. <laughs> that number is so. Uh, make such an impression and anytime we would do a tv appearance they wanted that number sure and sure it just without knowing who these guys are and without leading up to it to know that you know it looks like just grown men throwing toys around and it doesn't play as well i mean if they, they won't just, let and they insist we do it right like the telethon and all that they insist, we don't, there are not that many up to up tempo songs in right. forever flag no People it's true think there are but there aren't and we did, we did have a fish in the number at one point. We did have a fish. When Sparky bad. came out as a seal, yeah, we uh, him a Frankie fish. had a bass in his jacket <laughs> and threw, threw him a fish he had catching his teeth and go back out. And, yeah, and there was, I remember when we set, we we preset everything again, and just yeah, where's where's the gun? Where's the gun? Oh, it's under the fish. And you go, oh, it's under the fish. Of course. No, this is where... Wouldn't it be? <laughs> wouldn't it be? No, but it, it, it was the, the Liberace. Right. The Liberace was the, for me, finally, when I came up with Liberace and the piano, we figured out how to do that. That's when that number was finished. I mean, you know, but I put that it was in, the Plaid Tidings, then you put it in. Put it back in, because that's... The yeah, it's so good, Stuart. Musical theater only survives and only runs if there are surprises. It's just the bottom line of good, good musical theater. And it, it, it's, have to have surprises. it's one of the numbers that I've ever seen or been involved in that literally has the audience hysterically laughing from five seconds in, you know, first of all, you know, Jinx coming out with the accordion and starting Lady of Spain. And then it just, it, it cascades and it keeps going. It, it 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 never even really hits the crescendo. It just is at the crescendo of laughter the entire number. And by the time you get done with it, I think the audience is just as exhausted as you are when you well for us we collapse down on stage, <clears throat> and you could you could just see the audience literally grabbing their guts because they're laughing so hard. You know, and, and I always felt that. You know, after time, you know, because the, our audience actually remembered, and I remember still, uh, the Ed Sullivan show, and you remember all those moments, but it doesn't matter. Uh, kids are, I mean, young people who have no reference to it are hysterical at that number. Just, man, I can. Well, I can and when we did it on the, the ridiculousness West, of it. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. When we did it on the West End in London. It. Sorry, Scott. Oh, it's just, I was just oh, saying that's the juxtaposition of it. It's the, the old, old, old folks really loved it because they knew they knew that the, all the stuff we were referencing and the kids who had no idea were just they're the, they're a bunch of goofy guys doing funny things and yes, it was it, always that middle-aged group that that wasn't as sure but it was always the young young ones and the old ones that yeah. loved them. Yeah. it's totally and we found out when we did the show in london they didn't get the ed sullivan show they had their own show called sunday night at the palladium and so we referenced it, but then we also, when we did it in Tokyo, you just found that there were different local cultural hmm. events that happened around family that people could relate it to. There was some version of Ed Sullivan that was done culturally in each place. So we would reference and, uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a question, Stuart, that I had had was there's so many like special skills that people use in this show with the eating fire, the twisting plates or the, the squeeze box or the harmonium. Did you write these things in initially or did you just, as people came out, they were like, oh, by the way, I can do this. And you were like, oh yeah, great. Oh no, we're, we're putting that well, in the show. Did these things like happen organically? Have you found- Sort of, your well, I would say yeah. overall, what Gabe Barry always wanted to do, um, you know, I had met him when he, he had done, uh, he played the, uh, the evil lizard in Starmites. Starmites. And he had this bass voice. And we became fast friends and stuff. And he used to be in Barnum. He was a trapeze artist and a okay. circus person. And you know, he went across gorges in Saint, you know, in Saint Croix over like hundreds of feet in the air. Like, and he wanted to do that in a show, and it was just insane. So he wanted to eat fire. And um, uh, I heard he could eat fire. I said, "Would you mind eating?" 
Uh, by the way, but, but yeah, you know, you know, nobody really has to play the accordion. You could get away with just squeezing it and um, yeah. special skills. I'll, if, if That's the trouble with me directing productions, especially when we had like 17 of them or however many, because I would like change it for whoever was doing it. If they were really great tappers, we had more tap and you know, yeah, we okay. had this or that. Or they could do sure. Jackie Mason. I said, well, why don't we do Jackie Mason? Right. And so, I mean, because I was circus trained by a, a, a circus trainer uh, in bullwhips, because wow. I they brought them in when I did La Cage on oh, Broadway. Cool. I did Hannah from Hamburg, and they brought in a circus trainer to teach me. So I came with that skill. So um, we had a little tiny buggy whip that we had at McGraw's, and um, and then we when we took the show to I mean that was a tiny little stage. Yeah, when we took the show to uh, San Diego. You're on the old the globe old globe. Stage. Yeah. It was, you know, it didn't work. And I go, well, I can, I can use a bullwhip. And, um, and they had them there. They oh, wow. had three bullwhips. So I would get me one, get me one. And they I were really worried about there with safety. that cigarette. What? They were really worried about safety. And do you remember they made you put a pencil on the edge of a counter edge of the to piano. show that you, I am sweating. Um, on the edge of, yeah, I, I want to raise it there because it's, I don't have the air conditioning on so that it's, well, it'd be loud and I'm just sweating. Squirrel. Anyway, I'm trying to keep my armpits below the screen. <laughs> so anyway, I am. I have to raise my arms. Oh, shoot. Okay. They, they oh, made him put a piano on the edge, uh, the a pencil on the edge. On the edge of the piano. And I am 15 feet away from him. And I was like, and just, it broke the pencil in half and left the other half there. Wow. So I made Guy, you know, Guy was like totally shaking. He's got the cigarette in his mouth. And I did it, but I wasn't aiming at him. I just aimed in front of it. But I could crack that thing like gunfire. But you, you know, you had a releve, because you were in heels. I did, yeah. right. That's right, I would do it in full releve, because I was so used to being in stilettos. Did you know them? <laughs> wow. Did you know how to juggle beforehand? I did. You did, I did. Yeah, so did I. Know, I. I know how to juggle um, like bowling pins. You know, we, we yeah, just I can't do, do that. Bean bags. <laughs> well, no, I bean bags and scarves. I mean, scarves. if you're not really juggling, but, you can do scarves. You know, watching the show lately, you know, it seems to not take off. It takes, you know, we go through two choruses before we something funny happens, and then because then it just splats out at you. Yeah. By the way, speaking of London, it just opened in London. Oh wow! I just, sent you, I just sent Larry and David the reviews. I have never gotten reviews like this. It has opened to phenomenal reviews, saying you have oh, to move this. They said, "Yay, Stuart. Yeah." It says "Forever Plaid." Uh, it's hilarious and has heart, and it reminds us that we have, we have a, we have one too. That was oh, for London good. to say that. That makes so, me happy. Congratulations. And that's so and I'm dying to see what's going on over there. And that's to me, that's the biggest piece of this show, 100% is the heart that it shows. It's the way it brings people together. It's the way it brings our audience in as a fifth character and really just makes them feel all the things. Um, I can't tell you the amount of times, and I'm sure everybody else that has been a part of the show has heard the same thing uh, where we were standing outside, you know, saying, saying goodbye and thank you to the people. And I, I remember vividly this older woman coming up to me and saying, when we sang um, love is a many splendor thing that she almost lost it because she had just lost her husband of 50 plus years. And this was one of their songs together. And when someone tells you something like that as an actor, singer, performer, whatever, to me, that's our job. We give some, some, we give people a place to go for a couple hours and forget about the world. And especially during this last year where we were missing that and we were missing that human connection and the hugs. I mean, I haven't seen this guy next to me in, I don't know, until tonight. It's been a really long time. And I, was so happy just to hug him and you know tell him I love yeah. him and, and how much I missed him. But this show, every single song, you know, 
some people may not know certain songs, but then another song will hit them and you'll have that moment where the person says, this reminds me of my grandfather. Or this reminds me of my husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever the, the thing is. And I have not seen, and I've watched a bunch of plaid performances and everything else. It just seems like it's, it's one of the few casts that I've ever been involved with where everybody collectively gets it. They just get it. And you mean the cast or everybody in the whole every well no everybody in the cast just together and the creative team and you know my choreographer my even the sound people and the light people they everybody just buys in and they get it collectively and then the audience gets it you know yes and I would say part of for me the genius of how Stuart wrote it is it's the fact that these guys take such good care of each other yes you know they're petrified to be there well three of the four Sparky is his own thing but he but he still is a good guy but it it well, so Sparky's I think he means translates well. he means well he does <laughs> um, and I, like I, I always said there's no there's no bad guy in this show everybody no. is a good guy now but but I think what it translates to is I think it's why we as plaid actors have lifelong connections is because the way that Stuart shaped the show we are dependent upon each other and we take care of each other and the audience recognizes that and they love that so much because everybody wants to have their quirks taken care of and it is that sincerity in that heart and that's why i think this is a forever enduring piece of theater i, I do too and i think it's what it what makes the relationships that last lifetimes because this show not like any other four character show uh the other four character shows they have their own coming from their own place Everybody in this show, you're working as a unit. You are all working to, to put on the best show you can and it works together. And you, you're, never, you're never fighting with each other. It's all trying to do this great show. And it, it, I don't know, it does something that no other show I've ever been involved with. And, and I, I watch it happen over and over with other companies and you're just nodding there, Jacob. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it bonds you like no other show and it, and it, it's a joy to do. It is a joy yeah. to do. I, I no, there, guys, remember, I don't know if you guys know Sean Churchman. Um, yeah, I do. He, uh, well, he directed me in it. And uh, the first cast was uh, just four people who didn't know each other. And we got to go and each other very well. And then uh, a couple of years later, Sean was in it. And uh, I was, I came in as a replacement, but it was very interesting to see he was my director, but now he was on stage with me. And it, we'd already sort of had a nice relationship, but now it was even better because he was in the same place that I was. So it is, it is, you know, a round and, table. And, and, and people can come in and out of the company and you still, you, you lock in. Absolutely. That, that person, we've had incredible relationships with, with so many imposters that have come in and, and <laughs> what did I have to do with that? I did a production in Virginia where, where four of us came in who had done four different productions. We had two days to put it together and we all figured out which version we were doing and who what, we did it on the left side or right side and did it and you know, it was incredible. They already knew it, we already knew it and just came together and did it, it was fun. That's the, awesome. Hey guys, I have to say goodbye to you because it's about to get really loud where I am. Um, but I got a glass you're, of wine there waiting for you. You're at a winery. I'm, I'm at a winery. Yeah. You're drinking a, a, a loud Chardonnay. <laughs> it's very loud, Stuart. Big bold notes. <laughs> Larry, <laughs> yeah, they've got a part party of nine and a party of eight that are about to walk in the door here, okay. so it's going to get crazy. Larry, um, um, but it's been such an honor to be here. Larry, thank you so much on behalf of everybody. Um, thank all you. around. Pleasure, thank you. So, pleasure so to much. meet you. Thank, Thank you. you all, Plaid Brothers. Be well, Thank everybody. Larry. Larry. Take care, Larry. Sparky forever. Bye, Stewie. Sparky's unite.
gifts are calling, loudly and proudly calling down through the glen. Tearing in gallant fame, Scotland, my mountain name, long may your proud standards gloriously